Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the Soul Talk podcast. I'm really excited uh, for my guest this week. Uh, You know of him. You've probably been touched by him through maybe his books or his videos or his programs. Maybe you've attended one of his courses if you haven't. I think it, it might be a sign to, uh, you may have seen him in in uh, The Secret, amongst many other movies. Uh, I've been privileged to have had him on different summits and Soul Talk a few times. And it's always a pleasure spending time with this man. He is an absolute treasure, trove of wisdom, fount of knowledge. Um, I forget how many books he's read at this count, but the man has written, what, 40, 40 plus books. And I think you're in for a real treat if you don't know of him. He's the one and only John D. Martini, uh, and uh, welcome back to Soul Talk. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be here. I have a few few questions for you, and then we'll see where the conversation goes. But um, you you have a bit of an unconventional life in that you kind of live on a a boat, a ship, uh, which I want to hear a bit more about, and then you're constantly traveling. And I looked at your schedule online, and it's like. Online seminar, online seminar, in-person seminar, online seminar. Not like like every every weekend, every day is packed with different things. And for someone who I, I mean, I I work a lot and I love what I do. Uh, I have so much respect for that and your your the clarity of your mission and your purpose. And <laughs> I, I'm curious how you manage to generate to sustain the level of energy in the pursuit and the sharing of your purpose? Like, how, how do you sustain it? How do you keep your energy up? Uh, let's start here. What are your routines to optimize your health? I mean, I want to know this for myself so I can be like you as I as I grow up. And so what do you do? Like, what do you eat? What do you, how much do you sleep? What do you do exercise? Do you take supplements? You know, how do you, how do you keep it going? Because I know it takes a lot of energy to, to put out there to the world. You know, I, I had a dream when I was 17, to travel the world, Mm. learn and teach. And I've been very blessed to be able to do that. I've spoken in 194 countries now. Wow. I I still have a few countries left that I intend to speak from. And I think I've got three or four more coming in 2024. So my routine, I uh, sleep strange hours. Mm. uh, Tomorrow I'm in London even though I'm in, I'm in Houston right now. And I just flew in from Los Angeles. And then before that I was in Istanbul and before that I was in Miami and that's in the last about 12 days. And I go back and I go to Peru from here to Lima and then I get on my ship and then I'm sailing down the West coast of South America, down into Antarctica and then up the East coast and over to Africa. So I'm, I'm constantly, I'm either flying or sailing. My home is a ship, so I, I live on a ship. And I'm sailing. And sometimes where I do the seminars, they want me live, and so I, I'll fly off and I'll go there. But my normal routine is not normal because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in different time zones. My hours are completely crazy. Mm-hmm. They say that's not healthy, but I seem to do thrive on it. Mm-hmm. I did four hours sleep for 35 years, and I, I – um, I seem to be, you know, maybe that's what's caused all my derangement now. <laughs> but uh, I do require more sleep now. So it's it's more like five and a half, six hours today, because as I, I'm 69. So wow. I I, uh, I require a little bit. I have to get up in the middle of the night and sometimes uh, relieve my bladder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sleeping a little bit more, but I'm on a mission. 
And I've been on a mission since I was 18, I was 17, actually. And I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing. And when you're doing something you really love to do, your energy's engaged. Yeah. And I've done enough prioritization since age 27 to delegate everything mm. except teach, research, write, and travel. So I don't mm. have any other responsibilities. Mm. I don't do anything but teach, research, write, and travel. All the administration, all the travel, all the logistics and all the arrangements are all done by other people. And I full-time teach, research, write, and travel. Wow. That's it. I'm useless outside of that. I, I, <laughs> I haven't driven I haven't driven a car in 32 years. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I, I realized that I could in the back seat of a car I could get more done. And I I really had no desire to drive. And I don't mm. like deal with traffic. Mm. That's why I live on the ship also, because it saves me a lot of travel issues. Mm. How do but you I, there's a couple of things I, I want to ask from that is how or can you give some guidance for those of us that are entrepreneurs, want to be entrepreneurs, because realize you can't build something by yourself. And so it's, it's interesting to hear you say, you don't do anything outside of these things. And that's a very high level of prioritization. What are the keys that you have developed to cultivate the discernment to find the right people? Like, how do you find the right people? What's been your secret? Well... Somehow they've naturally existed. I can't say <laughs> a special formula other than I, you know, I do have on my website a value determination process that you probably have mentioned before. Yes. And I use that value determination process for anybody that's going to be hired in the company because nobody goes to work for a company for the sake of the company. They go to work for the fulfill what they value most. And if they can't see how the job description that they're about to be hired for is helping them fulfill what they value most, they're not mm. going to be engaged. And mm. I'm going to have to micromanage or somebody's going to have to micromanage. Them. I haven't hired in years, so I don't do that. But the manager, the director of the company would have to push people uphill if they weren't engaged. Mm. So they want somebody who's inspired to do the job that's being allocated. And so we use the value determination and we go through and we determine their values the priorities in their life, what their life demonstrates they're committed to, not their fantasies, not what they want to tell us, but what is fact. And then we go through and we ask them a series of questions. How is doing this particular action? And my job descriptions are not vague in general. They're very specific in the company. So how specifically is doing this action going to help you fulfill what you value most? Mm -hmm. If they can't answer that in a billionth of a second and rattle off the answers, unhire them. Because if they can't see how what I'm going to ask them to do is going to help them fulfill what they're inspired to do in life, why would I hire? Mm -hmm. So we screen people by values. We communicate by values. We'll manage by values. We'll lead by values. We'll negotiate, sell. Everything is done by the values that I talk about in my Values Factor book. Mm -hmm. And that increases engagement and re relieves me of any outside activity. So anything that requires extrinsic motivation for me to do, I've delegated. Wow. So I only teach. I, what I love doing is teaching, researching, writing, and traveling. Wow. Outside that. And do you check in on your managers? Do you have meetings with your managers? How does that work for you to be not aware of that? Not, not too often, really. Um, their job is to take care of the thing, and that's their job. But my job is to do my, my job. <laughs> and I. Uh, How do you know if they're doing their job? Well, I've got some stats and things that they're doing, but I don't look at it. I got my director doing it. And really, you know, I have a forced, automated, accelerated investment structure. Mm. So every time money comes in the company, money's going into investments. I, I do investments every week for 41 and a half years now. Wow. So I don't, I don't. And as long as I'm getting my investments and I always, I know within a few thousand dollars what my I'm generating based on what I'm doing. Every consult, every seminar, everything is all organized. We booked a program in um, in India just uh, yesterday. I know exactly what that's going to generate. So I know when I go do there what it's doing. And I know what goes into investments and I know what the cost of business are. So there's not a lot of margin for people to, to play games with me on. Mm. And then they know that they wouldn't want to jeopardize their position anyway. So, mm -hmm. and they're, they're rewarded and winning by doing what they do. So, I 
just focus on what I do, teach, research, and write and travel. Wow. And my investments are grown and I'm ultra high net worth blessed life. Mm-hmm. So I really don't that mm. that the other stuff, as far as I'm concerned, kind of trivia to me. I, I just want to do what I love doing in my life. Mm-hmm. How Teacher, do you how, how do you and how have you then manage relationships in your life? You know, romantic relationship, well, but also I know you have you had kids. You had you've had kids. You have kids. Yes. So yes. so I would say now how does how is that with romance romance and kids, but also when you're in the beginning stages, you know, 30, 25, 30, you know, as a younger man, your kids were younger. How did you manage all of that and prioritize? And how did you spend time with them? And how did you focus? Well, um, I was just with my girlfriend in Istanbul, mm. um, the one that I, I could say is partner. And, mm. and so I was just with her last week. I was with both my daughters um, in Los Angeles and their partners, one's a husband, one's a, a partner. My son I was with today, um, and I will see them again on Sunday because I'm about to do a two-day program overseas from here on Zoom. Mm. And I'll see them on Sunday, and I'll see them Monday and Tuesday or whatever. So I will see them while I'm here, or they rendezvous and meet up with me. Mm. So we have a kind of a jet-set life. And I probably, uh, in my younger years, was not around them as much as they would like. But of course, the lifestyle and the opportunities that came from that, they're blessed by. You know, if you ask your kids, you know, how did you do as a parent? Mm-hmm. Most most kids will say, I like this and I dislike that. This, so there's always something. Sure my, my kids would say the same thing. They would say, mm-hmm. I, I, I love this about my dad because the opportunities and the people we've met and the places we've gone, and everything else. But at the same time, I wasn't always able to be there 24 hours a day because I'm mm-hmm. overseas or doing it. So thank God for... Skype and for WhatsApp and all the social medias and telephones and things of that nature. So that's allows, you know, you can communicate by vehicles in ways today that weren't available back yeah. then. We had to, you know, do telephones in those days. Writing yeah. was too slow, but telephones are pretty yeah. good. And then emails and faxes. And if you have a dialogue on emails and things like that, that's you can engage on a mm. on emails quite nicely. So they're now 39, 36, and 33, so they're independent, so they don't really interact with me that much mm. as, as they did when they were younger. But I, I feel that we're we're one big family. See, it's a frame of reference. Yes. Uh, I, I've i said since I was 18 years old that I'm a citizen of the world. Mm. I got that from Albert Einstein. He said, I wasn't a, I'm not a man of my family or community or city or state or nation. I'm a citizen of the world. I live on a ship called the world. Wow. And I'm a citizen of the world and I travel the world and I consider the universe as my playground. The world is my home. Every country is a room in the house. Wow. So I'm never out of, I'm never away from my family. They're just in a big freaking house. Mm. So instead of walking from room to room, we fly or sail. <laughs> and instead of just talking, we'll Skype, WhatsApp or, you know, telephone. Mm. So it's just a reference point. And many people get in a box about, you know, this is how it is. And if you don't do this, you miss out on that. None of that is, that's all trivial as far as my family is concerned. We have a global family. And uh, I'm very blessed to have that. And that was the dream. And they knew that when I, I since I was 18. So when you, if you're going to date me or marry me, sign my, up. Wife passed, <laughs> my wife passed away and I'm dating a lovely lady somewhere else now in another country, but we rendezvous. She'll come on the ship and I'll go there. We'll, we'll rendezvous. And they're very busy people. If if a woman wasn't pretty intensely busy with their own life also, mm. they'd probably be frustrated with me yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm a very busy guy. So they have to be busy too. So yeah. there's always somebody for everything. Yes. yes. And <laughs> Whatever the, the, you're ma- looking for. the match of values and compatibility. Yeah, there's always somebody. There's never a lack of somebody. And you know, and I tell my girlfriend, I said, listen, if, I, if I'm busy, then I have to have George Clooney or Brad Pitt or Gerard Butler or Hugh Jackman to make love on my behalf uh, <laughs> while I'm gone. Would you still love me? And they always say, I love you even more. <laughs> I wanted, I'm curious about the kids part because uh, I, I recently became a father six months. <clears throat> my, my kid is six months old and it's just uh, such a joy. Um, knowing what you know now, looking back at how you were as you were building as a father, 30s, 40s, what do you wish you knew as a father now that you know now that you wish you knew then 
that you could give guidance to people that are, you know, new new fathers. Like, I, I, I don't have a I don't have any regrets. I don't have anything that needs fixing or changing. I'm grateful for what has happened. Um, I'm a give me give, give me some of your guidance. What 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 should I know? Well, and for the fathers listening, see, I I, I learned a long time ago. I, I developed a method, the Demartini method, which deals with grief for people mm. who've had pa people passing or parted or de deceased or something like that. And I learned a long time ago when I was fourteen, living on the streets, because you know I was a street kid as a, as a teenager, that nothing is missing. I tell people in my seminar that at the level of the essence of our authentic self or the soul, as some people call it, nothing's missing. At the level of the existence of the senses, things appear to be missing. And the only thing that appears to be missing are the traits, actions, and inactions that you're not seeing that are present, but they're not in the form that you fantasize about. Mm. And, or you're too proud or too humble to admit what you see in others inside you. And so you're basically denying them in you or denying them in things around you. So I, I explain to my kids when I'm not there, whatever you think is missing, look for the new form it's in. Mm -hmm. And they'll find it in other people playing out roles. And the same thing for me, I'll play like a father figure to people in the seminars. And so I'm playing out the role and they're having a different father kind of image play around them. So sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes a best friend's family, sometimes it's the spouse that's playing both sides. I, I show them how to be resourceful. So they're not thinking of lack. And they're not in a box about how the form it's supposed to be. Because some kids grow up thinking mm -hmm. they project their, fam their, their values onto their parents and think the parents didn't match their values and thought they missed out on stuff. And I, I, don't, I think that's really non-resourceful and it's very victim mentality. Mm -hmm. I, I show the kids, I said, so whatever you think you're looking for, what form is it in? It's not missing. What form is it in? Is it virtual? Is it real? Is it self or other? Is it one or many or male or female or close or distant? And I help them look and train them on how to find that no matter what they're looking for is in their life. There's an abundance or in their life 24 hours a day if they just look. And so they were trained on that. So they're more resilient and adaptable and not caught in a box about how it's supposed to be. And then label something dysfunctional or missing or whatever, abandoned, all that crap. Mm -hmm. That stuff is just so antiquated. It's, it's, a, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. But people get trapped in that. And then they, they don't become resourceful or resilient or adaptable. And they don't realize how magnificent the way it is is anytime mm. you compare your current reality whatever it may be to a fantasy about how it's supposed to be you're going to be depressed <laughs> if it exceeds your expectation you may be joy but if it doesn't you're going to be sorrowed and that's only because of your own expectation so mm. if you know how to understand to expect things as they are instead of expect things as they're not you set yourself up for way more powerful state of consciousness so my kids have been trained in that way, and I've trained millions of people doing that, and it's so much more resourceful than mm -hmm. sitting and going, well, they didn't match this ideal box that I was yes. told by my therapist who's wounded by their own family that's projecting it onto me and stuck. Mm -hmm. But what if someone, I'd be curious now to hear, is listening, and they, and they you know, they say, but, okay, John, Dr. John D. Martini, I've, I hear what you're saying. Makes sense, but I was abused by my father or mother, sexually, mentally, emo you know, whatever the uh, abuse. How can you say it's perfect? How can well, you say, you know, <laughs> can you speak to, or, or they went through some very difficult something that, that yes. like, like. I, I work with those situations every week. Every one of those things you just mentioned, every single week. So someone listening is, 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 has been through some stuff. So yes. how can you, what can you, what can we say to them? Okay. Well, that stuff is purely their perception. Oh. You have gonna, control of your to... perception, your perception, decisions, and actions. Mm. Now, if you label it traumatic or abuse or challenging, it's because you haven't seen the upsides, benefits, and opportunities. That's all. Mm. If you choose to not and get narrow-minded and to label it something terrible, something torturous, something traumatic, then you've labeled it. Mm. But I've seen people in every imaginable thing, every imaginable thing, every one of the things you just mentioned, I've seen it every single week, week after week, 1,194 times, five times in the breakthrough experience. And we work with those people that think they've been victimized, mm. who've been victims of history. And we have them ask a different set of questions and make them conscious of things they overlooked and see things and use it to their advantage. Let me give you an example. 
please. So I had this little boy, young boy, uh, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a, it, it, that's a grown-up boy to some people, but it's young. Mm -hmm. And he was um, a foster child and was in an orphanage and was abandoned. Mm -hmm. One parent died, the other one gave him up. Okay? So he had been going to classical psychology and the and they took statistics about mm. children that start out that way and basically and say, well, you know, you could end up a drug addict. You could end up with this. You could end up with this. You can end up with, you know, all kinds of things. And all it was doing is making this child run and recite what they've been told by their peers. Mm. I'm a victim. I'm I dead. I'm an abandoned child. I'm an unwanted child. All that. It's BS. Mm. It's absolutely insane what they do with kids sometimes. So what I did, <clears throat> somebody referred him to me, <laughs> and I said, uh, you know how to use the internet? And he goes, yeah. So you now look up stuff on Google. Yep. Hmm. Uh, so you were, you're, you were blessed with an opportunity to be unique in the sense that you, your mother had to give you up and your father passed away. Yep. I said, great. I said, so let's go online and let's find out all the most famous people in the world that made the biggest difference in the world that started out just like you. Sir Isaac Newton's father died when he was born, and then his mother had to give him up temporarily to try to find a new man to be able to afford him. Mm. <clears throat> he became Sir Isaac Newton, founder of Principia, mm -hmm. the great treatise on gravitational systems. And uh, I could go on and on and on about the accomplishments that man did. Mm -hmm. So I found a list of 700. And if you go online, you can keep finding lists of people that were orphans and abandon and everything else. You go online and famous people that were that way and you blow your mind. Mm -hmm. And I made him go through this list. And then anyone he didn't know, which he didn't know a lot of, we go in and said, now let's look that guy up and see what he did. Mm -hmm. And then I, I showed him that he's in the category of the most powerful people, influential people, and in inspired individuals on the planet. I wow. said, so if you want to see this as some problem and a weakness and a and and see you'll feel less than and and abandoned and everything else, then that's you're going to create that reality. But if you mm -hmm. see it, this is an opportunity to be in one of those categories of some people that took that same experience and turned it into an opportunity. Mm. Bam. I'm going to share another story because that kid, his trajectory changed drastically and he wanted to go out and make mm -hmm. a massive difference in the world because he wanted to be on that same category because he realized he was special. Mm -hmm. So that same event has two sides, a victim of history, a master of destiny. So I don't sit there and wallow in people's pity. I don't sit there and support their victim game. It's, it's a waste of their time, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I go in there and ask them, so how do we use this now to do something extraordinary? How do we take this situation? Okay, somebody sexually final. Okay, great. How do we use that to our advantage? You know, Oprah Winfrey had that in her child. And she went on yeah. to become a billionaire ass yeah. and change the world. So how can you now, what do you want to do with it? Mm. You can sit there and use it as your excuse, or you can use it as your opportunity and fuel. It's up to, it's up to you. It has nothing to do with what you did and what you experienced. It's what you decide to do with it. And I've changed millions of kids' lives by doing that and not letting them get run in the story of the victim mentality, which is so common in our psychology today. So- I don't label things. I don't say that these are traumas. I don't call them tortures. I don't call them, you know, abuse. I think that abuse ought to be thrown out the window because I think that that's an incomplete awareness and it's a narrow-minded, one-sided, absolutist view of experiences that actually can do transformational things in life. Absolutely transformational. So I have, I have this young boy. He's, I'm speaking in, in Cape Town, South Africa, and about maybe six, seven, eight hundred people. I don't know. Mm. And way in the back, mm. I didn't even see him, was this 14-year-old boy. And afterwards, I was signing books and giving hugs and pictures, you know, you do after a conference. But I never saw this boy there, but he was back there. Mm. That was in September, a number of years back, 15 years ago, almost. 16 maybe. And then all of a sudden in December, I was back there at the same hotel, the Sheraton Arbel Hotel. And um, this time after I finished my program for all these mm -hmm. people, a young boy comes up and he's waiting to the very end. There's this long line 
it's almost two hours of signing books and pictures and all that stuff. And this boy comes up. He's 14 years old. He has a rope around through his loops of his pants and his pants are folded up about eight inches folded up. So he's got these long pants on. His shirt looked like it had some holes in it. And he was not an enriched economically. Mm. Hmm. And he came up to me and he's, he finally at the very end, he says, Dr. Martini, you inspired me. Wow. And I said, how so? And I, and, and I gave him a hug and I said, how so? And he said, I came here in September and you were talking about personal finance and how to get yourself out of poverty. And I did what you said and it's working. Mm. And I said, tell me about it. He said, my mother and father both died of AIDS. Mm. I live in Kyalicha Township. I have nine brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest. So it's my family now. I live in a shack that's 10 by 10. It doesn't have a floor. It doesn't have electricity. It doesn't have water. Mm. We put plastic bags on top of the thing if it rains mm. to cover the holes. We have to walk to the little latrine, little bathrooms. We have to go get water from a pump. But I'm the oldest, and I work at a mud brick Stacking. I stack mud bricks that dry in the sun wow. to make little houses. And they pay me 60 cents a day. And you told me that a portion of whatever you earn needs to go towards investments and savings towards your future to have money work for you instead of you work for money all your life. Mm. And if immediate gratification, you let immediate gratification cost you your life, you'll hold yourself back. But if you let long-term vision run your life, You'll do something extraordinary. Well, I started saving 15 cents a day out of 60. I've saved $7.50 since September. It's now mm -hmm. December. I will have at least $30 by this time next year. Mm. And I'm going to put $20 down on a $200 new shack. Mm. Now, the interest rate is 24%. <laughs> That's what the interest rate was at the time. Wow. He said, but I'm on a mission. Now, I could have given him $200, but if yeah. I would have rescued him, I would have, I would have destroyed his incentive, and mm. I would have robbed him of dignity, accountability, responsibility, and productivity. Mm. So I said, I want your contact details. I want to keep in contact with this boy. He mm. didn't have you know, contact details, but he had a friend that had a phone. <clears throat> so that's how he communicated with his friend. Mm. So... <clears throat> One year later, I was at his house. I went there. I got a picture of him. Wow. And he said, whatever job I have, ask how specifically is whatever I'm doing helping me fulfill my mission. Wow. And then go out of my way and do whatever I can to serve and do more than what's expected and always look for other opportunities in the job in case I can get expanded and earn more. And then mm. don't raise the lifestyle, put every bit of that into savings and have your money working for you. Because mm. people keep raising their lifestyle and end up in debt. Mm -hmm. And they, they want to live beyond their means instead of living within their means and invest and then get beyond. And then you get to crescendo your life instead of decrescendo it later. Mm -hmm. Well, this boy changed his life. Mm. And he, he had, a, I always say money without meaning leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. And so he was now on a mission to see what he could do to transform the lives of a thousand kids in that township mm. to see if he could. There's a lot of kids exactly like him. And he's, he wants to be an inspiration like me. He says, I come to hear you. I've heard you on the radio and I want to come and see you live because you inspired me. And I want to inspire kids. Mm. I want to be a leader. Mm. So it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've come through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is what you decide to do with whatever that is. Because mm. you have control over your perceptions, decisions, and actions. You change your perceptions, you change your life. Mm. If you see it in the way, well, then it becomes in the way. Mm. If you see it on the way, you end up transforming and building momentum. And incremental momentum is unstoppable. And this boy changed a lot of people's lives because of wow. that decision, because of that attitude. Wow. Your attitude determines your 
altitude, as they say. And I'm a firm believer. So I don't, when people come to me with victim mentality, I tell them, if you want to run that story, then you're not going to go anywhere in your life because you're going to keep blaming. And anytime you put false accusations on other people and false attributions to other people and hold yourself back from taking whatever's happened into it, turning it into an opportunity, well, then that's your decision. And many times we get surrounded by people that want to blame people and want to label people and want to say, well, that's trauma and that's terrible. And you didn't even know it was this trauma until you were told it was traumatic. Mm. And what I, about, I, what, what, what about, can, can you, can you just, and maybe there's a nuance here. Maybe it's not, you know, cause I am in full agreement with what you're saying. And let, let's say someone who's been through something, it, it was painful. They're carrying the pain. How much does someone need to acknowledge the pain or no. is it just make no. a decision, move on? Or, no. or, and how much of that is it? Like, is there any, is that a bypass or, or an override? Because sometimes the pain is, is in the, is in the body for some people, is in the soma somatically. And so do we just don't acknowledge the pain? Don't acknowledge no, the no, fact no, that no, I was no. hurt? No, no, there's, I'm, I'm finishing up a big textbook, a thousand page textbook yes. on neurology and have a whole chapter on pain. And John Bonica wrote a textbook on pain, which is a classic, a Harvard classic, <clears throat> saying that pain is a private sensation of hurt. We have up, up information going into pain, into the, into the lateral thalamic tract, spinal thalamic tract, and you also have a downward control from the cortex. So you can control the pathways of pain and your perceptions of pain. And, and one thing I learned a long time ago, back when I was working with osteosarcoma and cancer pains, years ago, 40-something years ago, that when we're in a, a pain, we'll dissociate mm. and we'll create in our mind a counterbalancing homeostatic anti-memory of whatever is painful. And I've proven this in thousands of cases. Mm. So at that exact moment, the person's in pain, they have a representation in the brain. Mm. They have a, a visual, they have an auditory, they have a smell, they have a taste. So if you ask them, what's the pain? And uh, is it... Uh, is it stationary? Is it moving? What's moving? Is it throbbing or is it is stagnant? I mean, I asked the distinctions of the pain and described the pain, sight, smell, taste, feel, etc. what they have represented as pain. I find the exact opposites and I go in and have them in the moment of pain. And when they're actually in the moment of the perception of pain, their mind automatically created an opposite. And then people don't know this. It's not in Neuron Magazine, um, uh, March 17, 2016, there's a fantastic article on what they call anti-memories. Mm -hmm. And when you study dissociative disorders, you'll see that these things are, are composite opposites of whatever you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I can take that, that pain and I can find out the modalities and some modality distinctions of that pain. And I can find out the exact opposite that's represented in the brain at the same time, make them aware of those two at the same moment. And they will come to tears of gratitude and they won't even feel their pain. Their pain will be changed right there on the spot. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to limit people into thinking that the external world determines what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, you might say, well, I just got stabbed and they're in pain and they may not have this, the courage or the skill to do it. So thank God we got anesthetics and things of yep. that nature temporarily. Okay. But I had a lady that ripped the bottom of her, the top of her foot, pulling her foot out from underneath the table one time and knocked out mm. about a two inch, quarter inch deep gouge, mm. blood. They ran off and got ice. They got off and got towels. They got everything else. While she did it, I said, let's take advantage of this moment mm. while we're waiting for the thing for your pain. And I went up there and did this process and calmed her perception of pain down right in front of her husband and her. Wow. And she goes, I would never have imagined that I had power over that pain. Nobody's training people on how to do that. Nobody. It's rarely taught out there. And so because we have that capacity, but we're not using it, we blame. We yes. blame ourselves. I just injured myself. We blame others. You did this to me. Instead of how do we use this now to our greatest advantage? But the, the part I want you to, to, to maybe clarify, because I really, I want people to, to get what you're saying and, and, and then we'll move on is, Let's say someone has emotional pain, you know, because something that's occurred. Perception. That, that's only because they have an expectation of somebody doing something other than what they did. And they're so are you saying are you saying a baby, a baby, a child, yeah. a one a one year old 
has an expectation of absolutely okay. babies. You know, they used to think babies were blank slates. The tabula rasa, mm. they, they thought they were blank slates. That is absolutely thrown out since the fifties. Mm. You know, two guys got a Nobel Prize thinking that they were formative periods and there was a blank slate and all that. All that's gone today. Mm-hmm. We now know that in in the sixth month, fifth month, fourth fourth month, even all the way up to the, the when we're basically born during gestation, they're taking on senses already. They're hearing. They're already picking up information and they're already having expectations. And sometimes they're 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 sexually oriented even before they're born. They're 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 having expectations. I'm I'm I should have been a boy. I should have been a, I shouldn't have been a girl because I heard my mom and dad arguing. This mm. is going on all before they're even born. Mm-hmm. So we go through and we think they're innocent little victims. And I don't think that that's a wise thing. I think it's wise to go in and find out what is going on in their psyche at the time they're very young. Yeah. And let's go in and and believe in their resourcefulness and use it to our greatest advantage. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not promoting any of these things out there that they're going to. I'm not saying promoting beating kids or doing stabbing yep, or yep, yep, none of that. Of I'm not promoting any of that. I'm just saying that, okay, it's happened. Yes. Fact. Now, what are we going to do with it? Fact. Mm-hmm. It happened. Mm-hmm. But sitting there and not finding out how to use it to your advantage, to me, is foolishness. So something like grief, okay? You mentioned your wife passed away. Yeah. My mother passed away. Somebody's husband passes away. There's a sense, there's some grief present. Do we just ignore the grief? No, no, no. How do we deal with the grief? Listen, I I have been, I've done 5,000 death experiences at grief. 5,000. And I assure you what I'm about to tell is going to shock the hell out of people, but it's true. Let's go. Nobody grieves the loss of somebody they love. They grieve the loss of the traits, the actions, behaviors that they admired, liked, infatuated, that brought dopamine, oxytocin, and encephalons to the brain that they are now having withdrawal symptoms from. Because nobody in all the cases I've worked with has ever said, I miss their farts. I miss their screaming. I miss their dirty clothes. I miss their dirty shoes. I miss their uh, yelling at me at night. I, 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 I miss their not being giving me affection. They only miss the traits that they admired, liked, and looked up to that caused dopamine and oxytocin in the brain. So they're not missing their whole being. They're missing the parts that created pleasure. If I idle, isolate what those are, I guarantee you, Show them that whatever it is, I, I first ask them the question, what specific trait, action, and action do you perceive this departed or deceased individual displayed or demonstrated that you admired most and now miss most? And I have them identified. And then who emerged from the moment they passed or they disappeared or whatever happened to them, from that, from that moment on, who emerged in your life, one or many, male or female, close or distant, real or virtual, self or other, who emerged in your life to take on that trait? And I guarantee it's there. And I learned that when I was 14 living on the street because mm. I didn't have parents around me, but I had parents around me in all different forms. And I was resourceful enough to see all the forms of parents that I had. Mm. So nothing was missing. I even lived with a 27-year-old and a 32-year-old that was partly a girlfriend and partly a mother figure at, on the streets. And I got to watch that now there's she's playing part of my girlfriend and part of my mom. And now it's, it's, mm. it's not missing. It's in another form. Right, right. So once I identify who's emerging, then I go to what I call what specific go to the moment where you when you perceive this individual displaying or demonstrating the trait that you admired most. And in that moment, what are the downsides? They've never asked that. They're just assuming that that is an upside. But mm. every trait has two sides. Mm. You know, if you get with a guy, let's say a woman meets a guy that's highly intelligent and she goes, man, I just love this intelligence of his. It's an aphrodisiac. But then you find out over weeks later, uh, he likes to argue. He thinks he's right. He's opinionated. He tells you what to do. He thinks he knows everything. He's a know-it-all. He's arrogant. Mm. And then you find out that that same trait that you admire has traits you dislike, parts parts you dislike about it. The same thing on a trait you dislike. Mm. Maybe they're telling you what to do, but maybe that pushes yeah. you to stand up for yourself and become more resourceful and more entrepreneur-like and more independent mm-hmm. and more outgoing and extroverted. So all traits are neutral until somebody with a subjective bias and some moral hypocrisy imposes an ideal about what that is. Mm. And I'm not interested in getting trapped in those moral hypocrisies that people have been 
passing down from mother, father, preacher, teacher to convention, tradition, mores. I'm interested in helping people become empowered, resourceful, and do something extraordinary with their life. And so when people sit there and they go, okay, what's the downsides? They take those traits. And as they come up with the downsides, the oxytocin, the, the vasopressin, the dopamine, the encephalons come down. And the withdrawal symptoms of that loss disappear. And then I go and find out now the people that emerged in their life that's taken on that trait in place from that moment till now, who, what's the benefit to them? Because the only reason you didn't acknowledge the benefit is you didn't see the benefits. You never looked. I had a woman that was, her husband got killed and she was grieving, right? And I met with her mm. and uh, we started doing the process. It took about two hours to dissolve it. About a week and a half later, she met a new guy <laughs> and she, she thought, well, this is an upgrade. <laughs> and she, she, uh, if, if you think that somebody's gone and now an upgrade comes into place, your grief mm. is a lot easier because mm. <laughs> you're not missing anything. You feel like you gained, yeah. but if you don't see a better package, you yeah. feel you lost something because you're comparing mm -hmm. your current package to the package you had before. So anytime you have something you associate more positives and negatives with, anything that's not equal to that is going to perceive more negatives than positives. And you're going to be feeling, I miss out. I lost something. Mm -hmm. So I confront all that. And I developed a method on how to dissolve that. And I've been doing that. I did this at the Christchurch earthquake. We went there and literally my team came in there and helped people. We did that in Ishtamaki in Japan during its, after the tsunami. We did it at the so, 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 so now, okay. 2016. I, I, I'm curious now. Is Israel... Palestine situation now. Yeah. We have a situation. Folks being blown up, you know, Israelis, and then devastation in Gaza, and you see kids. What, what do we what, what do we tell the mothers? Well, what, if, what you, we if you sit there, it depends on what the mother wants to do. The mother right now, depending on her situation, she may be fling for her life herself, mm -hmm. or she may be trying to get with a group of people that are now supporting her and taking care of her. Mm -hmm. and getting aid or friends taking care. I don't, I don't know. It depends on each of those situations. Mm -hmm. But I've been in situations where I've had people, their family just got killed in a car crash and there's only one survival. And I've taken them through and taken them through all the grief process and done it literally within 24 hours of this process. Now, people don't believe it's possible because they haven't done it. But anybody who's listening here, I dare you to see what mm -hmm. I'm, I dare you to go, come and let me take you through it if you have an issue like that. And I guarantee mm -hmm. I'm going to make a change in it. I've been doing it since 1976. Wow, 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 wow. 76. That's, wow. <laughs> so I've, I've done 5,000 of these cases. Uh -huh. I learned about it. I, you know how I learned it? I was down in El Salvador, mm. and I was, I was um, doing a surfing adventure down there. And one day after I came in from surfing, by 11 o'clock in the morning, 1130, I'm walking down the street, and I'm seeing this parade. And there's about 300 people in a parade. And I'm thinking, wow, what's the parade? I'll go up and I say, Kapasa, what's happening, man? And this guy said, well, we're, we're on our way to the cemetery. We're celebrating the passing of the mayor. And I'm like going, really? Everybody's in white and color. He says, yeah, because his spirit is freed. So he's, he's going to the spirit world. And I thought, okay, this is sort of a shamanistic idea. And, uh, and there was no gloom and doom. There was celebration, party, and feast. Mm -hmm. And he had passed. They put him in the ground, and they celebrated. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, wow. I, I, when I grew up, you know, you wear black for two years in, in Greece, and you mourn and everything else. And I thought, in 1976, when I saw that, I said, I want to know what this, what's going down here. Because in mm -hmm. one culture, grief is gloom and doom. Another one is boom and zoom. So I go, there must be something else going on. In, it can't be the death process. It has something to do with our indoctrination and our, our perceptions and our culturization. So that's when I started on it to try to find a solution to it. Then I started studying the brain. I, I taught neurology back in my 20s. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm absolutely certain that we can transform grief on the spot live. I had mm -hmm. a, a girl in my seminar in the Breakthrough Experience. Her father committed suicide while he was on the phone with her in the seminar. We heard the gun go off. Oof. And she's literally turns about white. And everybody's looking at me like, what do we do? I said, let's bring her up here and let's pr process it right on the spot. So we finished the process. We found a surrogate to play out her father's role. And she picked a man out of the seminar right there named Bernie. And Bernie was about 67 years old. And he was a, a pilot for Continental Airline. 
And uh, he got picked. And when he came, we asked him to come up to communicate as a father to the daughter so she could say what she wanted to say to the father. Mm. And he comes up and his wife comes up with him and Aurora. And I said, I said, you, you need to come up with him. I just need Bernie. I said, no, I need to hold on to him. So she comes up and this magnificent dialogue occurring and her, 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 her grief was gone. I mean, mm. gone. And then I asked Bernie, you know, what, what is this bringing up for you? And then Aurora said, Bernie got laid off from Continental Airlines before Continental got merged into United. And Continental Airlines, when he got laid off, he said to me this morning, I don't know who I am. I'm a pilot. If I can't fly, I don't know what I don't know who I am. I don't know why I have any reason to live. So he was thinking about committing suicide that morning. Wow. And this lady picked him to play her wow. father's role out. There was a synchronicity. And he lived 22 more years into his 80s, mm. well into his 80s, almost high 80s, uh, as a result of that scenario. And when, the, mm. when, or when Bernie died, Aurora contacted me and said, thank you for giving my husband 22 more years of life, mm. because he would have taken his life if it wasn't for that that." father killing himself and the mm. daughter having that interaction it was a mm. there was a higher order to things that most people don't see they don't take the time to look beyond the apparent chaos yeah. the missing information and look for a higher order in their situations and i that's what i do with people i, I take people who've been through whatever they've been through i had a, a lady that was raped by 100 men by a motorcycle gang a mongrel mob in in new zealand i and, just you see I, I hear that and it's like wow I, I know, but I, I sat for four hours in front of four people from a television crew filming me transforming her life. It took four hours to go through each one of those things. But she's now empowered as a, a book out, is married today. She wasn't even able to be with men after those years. And that was 18 years after this happened. We transformed that. She's married today and she speaks today and she's a book author today. So mm -hmm. it's not what happens to you. It's what you decide to do with it. And you can play the of history or master of destiny. It's totally up to you if you ask the right questions. So, so for anyone listening, we want to hear it from you. Are you saying no matter what anyone has been through, they have they a way can, of getting past. They, they can shift. Doesn't matter what it is. There's not just what about karma, past lives. Is there anything just? Yeah, like, but those are. Oh, this is just my karma, destiny in this life. The karma. How is, much does that weigh out in our life? Any anytime you're proud and looking down on people and thinking you cause. You're proud because you think you cause positives without negatives. You haven't seen the downsides. Anytime mm -hmm. you're ashamed and you think you cause more pleasures, uh, uh, negatives and positives, you haven't seen the upsides. Anytime you're infatuated, you're blind to the downsides. Anytime you're resentful, you're blind to the upsides. You're not asking how to ask questions to balance the equation, which your intuition is constantly trying to get you to do. My job is to help you see the thing you're ignoring and help you get past your ignorance and help you get past your unconscious. You can be fully conscious. When you're fully conscious, it's nothing to do with out there. It's what you decide to do with it. So I tell people, I said, look, there's nothing your mortal body can experience that your immortal soul can't love. Nothing. And if, you know, Victor Frankl tried to prove that in, in Search of Meaning in the book on, on uh, the Holocaust. You know, he, people that had no meaning to it and couldn't find the blessings in it, they died. The people that could find meaning in it and how to use it to their advantage, they survived. Very common denominator. So I tell people, <clears throat> I had a lady that was in Miami, and she said in the program, she was ranting and raving about a victim thing. And I just told her, I said, stop the story. Your story that you've been telling for God knows how many years is not going to get you empowerment. It hasn't, hasn't it? All you are is still angry, bitter, your mom and all this blaming and still stuck. Stop it. I said, now, when your mom left, what specific trait action, in action did you perceive you missed? And I held her accountable. I said, so who, what was it? Well, uh, affection, good. What else? Um, guidance and the direction, great. What else? Uh, you know, telling me what to wear when I'm going to go on a date. I mean, she made a list of all these things that she thought she missed on. And I took each one. I said, good, nothing's missing. So who provided that affection? Mm. My aunt and my grandmother and my best friend's mom. And we found out where it was. Great. And I went through each one of those traits and we found out who provided it. It wasn't missing. It was just in the form she wasn't honoring because mm -hmm. she was comparing it to the fantasy form she created in her mind about how it should have been, would have been, could have been, and therefore was not honoring what it was. And I said, so what? We found the forms. What's the benefit of these forms? And what would be the drawback if your mom had done that? I asked her that question. And when I asked her that question, if your mom had been there, what would have been the drawback? She's paused and stared for a second. 
Then tears came out of her eyes. And I said, what is it? And she said, something my aunt told me. I said, what? And she started crying. And she said, I just realized something my aunt told me when I was very young that I couldn't hear, didn't want to hear, but it's still been sitting in my brain until just now. I said, so what is it? My aunt told me the reason why your father, your mother left you is not because she didn't love you. It's because mm -hmm. she did. Your mother had bipolar condition and she left you in a bathtub and it was too hot. The water was too hot. You almost burned and scalded and you almost drowned. And your mom was completely dissociated and wasn't aware of what was happening, found you there and said, I can't take care of my own child and asked me, the aunt, to raise the child because she loved her too much because she's afraid she would kill her own daughter without trying to kill her just because of her mispresence. So she said, I don't want to be destroy her life with my condition. Now, when she remembered that and saw all the people that came in to provide what she was looking for, and saw the benefits that she got a better education than her mother could provide it because there was a poor, she was poor. The opportunities, the acknowledgement, the story change. Now, this is when she's four, mm -hmm. okay, three and four, when her aunt really took her over. And here she is now, 47. Wow. So run the numbers 43 wow. years of victim psychology. Sometimes I get frustrated with psychologists because they're victims half the time, promoting their own victim compassion on the people because they're wounded. And I see that instead of really caring and trying to resourcefully empower people. So I, I, I said, can you see right now that you were not unwanted? You were given a gift. And you've been blaming and not appreciating the gift because you compared it to a fantasy and depression is a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy that you're addicted to. Is you were addicted to the fantasy story about how your mom, you should have done this. Mm. And you thought you were unwanted. And because of that, you devalued yourself and therefore you hung out with devalued people. And there they ended up with all kinds of things. And she was raped and she was all kinds of stuff happened to her. Not because of what happened, but because of that perception of what happened. Because the day that, that she was at that seminar and that changed, mm. her life changed. She dropped weight changed her hair looks, changed her direction, started writing a book. Mm. Her life changed. And our lives can change the second we decide to change our perceptions, decisions, and actions. And we always have control over that. We don't have control over what happens always, but we do have control of what we can do with that. And if we're alive, we have the capacity to do something different with it. And I've got thousands of cases of people proving that. So I don't, I don't support the idea of keeping people stuck and I don't find blame. You know, Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, said, when you first start on your journey of personal development, you blame people, <laughs> blame things, blame events, blame circumstances. When you go a little farther down the line, you start blaming yourself for your, for your actions. But when you finally become awakened, you realize there's nothing to blame, nothing in you or them. There's simply an experience and resourceful opportunity you can do something with. Now, how do you use whatever's happening in your life to do something extraordinary with it? How is whatever, one of the great questions you want to ask yourself, how is whatever's happened today, no matter what it is, how is it helping you fulfill what's most important to you in your life, the real mission that you feel you're called to do? Yeah. And ask that question and don't sit there. It doesn't, it doesn't help me. It's ask, how does it? And answer that question and look deeper. And when you can master the skill of asking that question and see that everything is on the way, not in the way, you will transform whatever that story once was and go make history. Boom. Let's just take a moment. Let's just digest that, folks. You heard it. To become a master of oneself, a master of one life, giving up blame, giving up being a victim. Just digesting. So I was in South Africa in, in uh, Johannesburg. I was doing a training program there, the Demartini Method training program. I've trained people on how to take mm. people through these so-called issues and transform them. We got 7,500 people out there now doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lady there that was shot through the spine and was paralyzed. 
So she's got her arms, but nothing in her legs, nothing from the, you know, spine around T12, T, T12L1 down is gone. I mean, it's just not, I mean, she has to do all kinds of things, right? She's in a wheelchair. She comes in there. And so somebody says, well, this lady has been shot. She'd been paralyzed. You know, how do you find the blessing in that, Martini? You know, they're like, so try that. So I said, well, so go to the moment you were shot. What? Tell me the story here now. Go to the moment you're shot. What was happening? This is what she said. Uh, I was on the balcony outside at my house in the backyard. Not balcony, but, but patio. The patio. First floor. Not balcony, but patio. I'm out on the patio, and I'm praying, please, God. She was religious. And she was hoping that God would somehow provide her a solution because she wanted to get out of the relationship with her partner. And uh, it wasn't a husband. It was just a partner. And they were thinking about it. He wanted to get married, but she didn't. And she wanted to get out, but she was having difficulty having the courage to tell him to, I want to move on. Wow. And so she's asking for help. And she it was from South Africa, and he came from another country, and he didn't really want to be in South Africa. So over the hedge, two guys come, and um, they're going to rob the house. They saw the door open. They saw her in the backyard. They were looking through the people and through the hedges. They came, grabbed her, and she tried to fight, and he shot her. So she was literally on the ground looking, and... Um, the, the the man got away and never came back. <laughs> so wow. she got a wish. She got a wish. The guy just flat disappeared. He got wow. away. He got out of the country. He said, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. So she's now, you know, paralyzed and having to go through hospitalization and some treatments and all kind of stuff. And I asked her, so what's the blessing of that? And she said, I got close to my grandmother. I, when, when I saw the evil eyes of the man who's shooting me and causing death, I saw my grandmother who represented and told me about my spiritual life and my eternal life. Wow. So there were both life and death at that same moment. I saw the eyes of my grandmother at the moment I saw the eyes of this man. And I saw it as I was liberated from what I was trapped by. Mm. And she says, now I own a foundation for people who have been paralyzed. And I've I'm raised millions of dollars to help people like that. And she said, I feel more alive on my mission today than I ever did prior. Mm. And I have now a man in my life that aligns with my mission. <laughs> it says, I am, yes, not able to use my legs. But that's not stopping me from doing something now in my life that's extremely meaningful. And I'm actually grateful. I got her to a point of absolute gratitude for the whole thing. And I could go, I could do it. I had another guy that was ransomed for millions of dollars and hijacked on a highway, on a freeway. Mm. And we took him through this whole process in two hours. And he was now grateful for those people that hijacked him because when they hijacked him and had to pay millions of dollars for this guy to get to keep his family alive, he got closer to his family than he's ever been. While oh, he was God. in that thing, his business flourished because he had to stay out of it and other people had to take control of it, which is what he wanted, but he kept being interfering with it. And he realized he lost a bunch of weight because he didn't get to eat during the time he was away. And he started to make the blessings out of it. He said, I feel like thanking these people now. I said, exactly. <laughs> he says, I got my life. I got my wife. I got my kids. I got my business. I, I'm making more income than I would have. And that was a consulting fee with those guys took. Wow. I, said, I said, you've now just resourcefully repositioned this event from abuse and victim and trauma and everything else into thank you. Mm. Anything you can't say thank you for in life is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. Wow. I think we'll leave it there, folks. You heard it. What, how can you see things differently in life? How can you use every experience for your growth and evolution? And uh, how can you say thank you? Thank you. We're going to leave it there. Powerful affirmation. Dr. John Martini. It's a joy having you on Soul Talk. It's a privilege having you on Soul Talk. I thank you for your passion. Thank you for pouring into everyone. I want people to connect with you. What's the best website, the best way, anything you have coming up? Please, please share. Just drdmartini.com is the website. 
and if they go on there, there's events to find out where I'm at and what I'm doing. I'm, I'm do you know, speaking 300 something presentations a year so they can find me wherever I am around the world. And, um, but just drdmartini.com and they can do the value determination on there to help determine what's really important in their life and start prioritizing their life. If you don't prioritize your life and fill your day with high priority actions, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions. Folks, you heard it. Check out drdmartini.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. He's a fount of wisdom and passion. Um, I'm digesting the conversation. I hope you are, folks. Uh, send me an email, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. I want to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Share this episode with everyone in your life that you feel needs to hear it. It was a powerful episode. Thank you, Dr. Martini, for coming on. Blessings, everybody. Catch you next week. Thank you. See you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.